Welcome to the Lives of Courage podcast with me, Jessica Stong. Each week, we'll look at ways to choose courage every day, as I know even the smallest acts of courage matter. Through inspiration and action, we can grow into who we are truly meant to be. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, I'm so excited. Ms. Amanda Myers, thank you so much, so, so much for being with us today. I'm so excited to chat with you. You are, you do all the things. Like I'm, I, I always love talking to you because you are one of the most hardworking, compassionate, courageous people I know. And I'm so excited to hear about your work right now and the work that we can all be doing to support you. You are the executive director of the Wichita Family Crisis Center. You are so busy right now in COVID, coronavirus life, right? It's just, has it changed the nature of your work? And, and what it looks like um, It's dramatically changed the way, um, the way we operate specifically as a crisis center because as you know, um, in our shelter, the clients share or used to share rooms and we only have two bathrooms for like 27 people. So we've had it to, in order to keep both the staff and the clients safe, we've had to dramatically change the way we work. We never turn anyone away, you know, from life safe shelter, but it just means that we've been putting so many more people in hotels, which gets expensive. It's much safer. In fact, most shelters kind of look like a hotel because each room would have its own bathroom. Um, and so we just really had to think very, very carefully about how to keep people safe, like on two fronts, right? From, from their abuser, but also from this virus. <sighs> So, you know, and, and, and then um, at the same time, we've seen a dramatic increase in like, in the incidence of domestic violence as well as the severity. I mean, when it, when we get, you know, have a client that, that comes to us, they're in much worse shape than we're used to seeing. And, and tell me, are you still able to, I presumably meet people at, ho- at hospitals or is that, has that changed as well? If someone needs immediate care and, and to be seen. So um, I'm glad you asked. So for a while there, um, we could only do that medical advocacy over the phone. Like, and, and you would, I'm sure you would, you know, cause even people who were on respirators and, you know, very, very ill were allowed to have someone in the hospital with them. And that's terrifying. It is, I can imagine having gone through a forensic exam with a, with a client, having to have that client go through that by themselves. Oh my gosh. Um, so it's thankfully, I think they're going to change the rules a little bit and they're, and they're going to allow the, each client or each um, victim to have one person. So it can be their mom or their sister, but it can also be an advocate, whoever okay. they want. So that'll be good. The other thing that we've seen, and it's important to acknowledge is there's so many less people going to the ER. So it, it's because they're terrified. So even though they are what scares me is we're seeing a lot of strangulation, which as you know, like you don't see the effects of strangulation right away. But there's oxygen lost to your brain, the bruises show up later. So we really want to encourage people like go to the ER. It's safe to go to the ER. You know, um, you can get the help you need. Oh my goodness. And we were talking earlier about just, re- by the way, I just want to acknowledge we dived right in. We didn't do anything like that. And just so you know, we're going to be talking about domestic violence. No, we're like all in, all in, because this is your reality. This is our, should be all of our 
on our radar. We should be aware. We should be working towards change. So I just want to acknowledge, like, you're doing the hard work day in, day out. And I am so grateful to you. So grateful. Oh, my friend. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your advocacy services right now and what that looks like. So we were kind of talking about this before. So 24-7 hotline. Um, and so we... Um, that hotline is typically answered um, through our administrative office, but we've been able to outsource that as people are working remotely. So they can, you know, so they, they're taking shifts on the hotline, but able to maintain social distance. And then we have that online chat that I was talking about, which is if you go to our website, um, and I encourage anyone to do this. You don't have to be the victim of physical abuse to talk to an advocate, but you can chat anonymously with an, um, an advocate online. Um, and it, it's completely anonymous. You don't, you're not talking out loud. Um, you know, there's no um, real obvious markers that you're you're having these kinds of conversations, and then you can hit the escape button if somebody comes up behind you, and it just like reroutes you to Google or something. That's and it's wiped. That's not in the history. It's right. not, which right. is incredible to me because then we know, and I think that just having that option of someone to speak to 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 voice and not even having to talk out loud when everybody. Exactly in the house just makes such a world of difference. Just exactly. to know that there is, there are options out there. Can you tell us a little about your life and your experience? You are, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your life, sweet Amanda. So um, I grew, I was born and raised and grew up in Buffalo, New York. Um, and I just know, I mean, a lot of people, um, a lot more people know about family trauma than I think, you know, we talk about on a, like an everyday, you know, house of weather kind of, you know, way. So I have personal experience with this kind of family trauma. Um, I went to college, I actually lived in Washington, D.C. for about eight years, and that's when I actually started doing this work. So I was in um, undergrad, I was contemplating going to law school, and I was like, okay, I, I want to know what this would look like at a legal aid clinic that was for Spanish-speaking survivors of domestic violence. Um, and, pe and people who had immigration issues who were below the poverty level. It was very specific. Okay. Um, and I loved it. I loved the work. Um, and it was, so I decided to go to law school. And then in law school, you can do um, a clinic, which basically allows you as a third year law student to actually practice law under the supervision of a professor. And so I did the domestic violence clinic. There's all kinds of clinics. There's like, yes, yes. Housing, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So yeah. I did the domestic violence clinic. So again, I had a lot of like legal experience working with domestic violence survivors. Um, and then when I graduated, I moved to Chicago to clerk. First, I clerked for a judge, and then I worked at a law firm. And in Chicago, I just did this work as a volunteer. And it was more in a women's shelter, so it wasn't um, necessarily survivors of domestic violence. It wasn't a confidential shelter. Like, everyone knew where it was. Yeah. Um, so it was a little bit of a, of a different take on the work. Um, and again, it wasn't law. It was more community service. And then I moved here um, and stayed my kiddos for a little while, which I was horrific at. <laughs> when you call Kansas, stay home mom. Yes. Some I was, people are I great am, at it. Some people, it's not meant for us. It's okay. just not. It's not. You talked about me being busy. It's like, I can't, I, you know, I was busy then too. I just was horrible at it. Anyway. Um, so then I just, I decided to start volunteering with the crisis center um, then I became an advocate and then I start, started doing some grant writing and then this position opened up and I don't know what I was thinking. I wish I could go back and look at what I was thinking, but um, I decided to, to go for it. So here I am. And thank heavens for it. But well, 
I, right? I think about your, the courage that you need every day to step, uh, step into this, into this role and into this experience. We know that domestic violence rates have soared essentially during yeah, this yeah. time. Yeah. Can you speak to that locally and nationally? You know, we really saw a dramatic increase um, after 2016 um, in domestic violence. It's just, it's just a well-acknowledged fact. And then... Um, Do we know why? You know, there's a variety of... there. You know, no one knows. Um, like I said, I've been doing this work since the 90s. I mean, I think people have political reasons, people have social reasons, people have financial reasons, right? Like the economy, blah, blah, blah. The political scene, blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is, um, it, it just increased. And then in Wichita, particularly, we've seen an increase. And again, um, you know, I can attribute it to some job losses that we've seen, you know, from really big companies. Um, just there's a variety of different factors, drugs and mental health issues. You know, as you know, um, our county is really trying to concentrate on mental health issues. And that very much exacerbates domestic violence. Um, we also work with a lot of human trafficking victims and the drugs like just go hand in hand with that. Causes, it's, it's hard to know. Um, but you know, it, the, the city, the city of Wichita, I think is, is, is on it. I think they're, they're aware of it. It's just, it's, it's a huge issue to tackle. Absolutely. Well, and we see this, um, we see, we're always afraid of, um, these trends, like every, the sheltering in place. How is that impacting the the families that were already under you know like yes. already experiencing domestic violence what does that look like for them do you have a sense of 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 the impact of that like when everybody's at home all the time because they've lost jobs they've lost yeah I think um, from what we are seeing it just exacerbates an already bad situation so right. And is, an, is abusive and they take out whatever their fear, their sadness, their stress, their anger by being physically or even emotionally verbally abusive with someone. Well, we know the stressors are increased. So as a result, we see the abuse increase. Can you, do you receive funding at a local or national? I, I'm asking clearly questions I know, but do you receive, where, where does your funding come from to support so the work we get a lot of um of government grants um which are which are you know it, they're a double-edged sword because they're incredibly helpful but they're incredibly restrictive and time intensive um and we've been we've been struggling and struggling and struggling to increase our private fundraising whether it's foundations or individuals or donors because it also increases awareness of the issue um and so i think I, I, you know that's that's where i really really have put a lot of emphasis is trying to get the word out because I think um, it also well, obviously it'll improve the agency but I think it'll improve just the community like our community to for more people to know what's happening and to be involved. I think you you said something so important is that we can't turn a blind eye to this happening in our community and sometimes we we don't want to see we don't want to see what's really occurring but it's it's our responsibility it's our it's our, it's on us to all come together and, and support women and families who are, who are being victimized. And I think what's important is um, a couple things. Like, first of all, you know, it's not somewhere else or someone else. It's not the poor person in the downtown area. Like it's really impacting 
everyone. Um, if one in four women are a victim of severe domestic violence, and if one in three are a victim of domestic violence, that's a lot of people. That's somebody you know. Yes. Uh, so I think it's really important that to emphasize that fact. And the other thing that I try and talk about whenever I can get, you know, a, you know, a whatever, a soapbox to stand on is the importance of talking to our young people. Um, because domestic violence doesn't start with physical abuse. Um, you know, it starts with verbal, emotional power and control. And our teens are experiencing it, I'm sorry to say. Like, as much oh. as we have to turn a blind eye to it, we need to talk about it more. We need to be more aware of what's happening in interpersonal relationships amongst our teenagers. Um, and, and we talk a lot about bullying, right, between friends. At least that's on the radar. Um, but there seems to be this taboo on romantic relationships. And I think we need to talk to our young people within our communities, within our religious groups, what you know, within our schools, about, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> about the power and control that's happening at that level, even if it's not physical. Um, because I think it's those values and beliefs and behaviors that underlie domestic violence. And honestly, that's what's going to change domestic violence. I've been doing this for 20 years. Nothing has changed. If anything, it's gotten worse. The one, you know, studies have shown that the only thing that makes an impact on domestic violence is talking to young people about recognizing the behaviors, the beliefs, and the values that underlie it before it gets to the point of, you know, severe physical abuse. You can, you can tell I say this a lot because I can say it quickly. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. Okay. But anytime I can get before young people, I am like, you guys, oh. like, we screwed up the environment. We screwed up domestic violence. Like, you're the generation. You guys yeah. are the generation. Well, and it's so fascinating to think, you know, I, you're raising sons, if it's okay to say, I can only... Oh. Um, and I am too. And, I, and we started very young with like, no means no, you do not have power over anybody else's body. You don't let someone, like, you don't get to make decisions about that. You don't have control over someone else or, and like, it's starting those conversations. Like Theo, who's four is like, no means no, no, actually that <laughs> uh, one backfired, but you know, they're, they're getting the messages and we get the opportunity to have those conversations with our kids. And I think also the, I think we've talked about this before, but one of the things I also try and emphasize with my kids is to be, you know, whether you want to call it an upstander or a bystander or whatever it is, but when you're in that situation and somebody is telling you, no, you can't wear that. Where were you? I need to know where you are every minute. I need to text you 30 times a day. Sometimes you can't see how, abusive, strange, not right, that is. So you need your friend. Like, it can be the friends that will, you know, hopefully our sons will be the friends that will stand up and be like, it's not okay to talk to women that way. And also, I'm a little worried about, like, what what's going on with you in this relationship, you know, or why don't you talk to a friend of mine about that or whatever. So. No, but that is, that is key. That is, well, okay, so tell me, when it comes to, having those conversations, I think it requires such an awareness of where we are now and where we can go, or even talking to people about your organization is that, that you have an opportunity and responsibility to inform, educate, and change behavior. Tell me about what that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. It's so hard. It is so hard on a variety of levels. First of all, um, the gr grants, government grants, the gr government funding is all crisis response based. Right. Fund any of this prevention work. You know, we've talked about that. So it's hard to just get funding for that. And it's hard to find space and time for that um, because we're running around like crazy people just trying to save people's oh. lives. Um, and then. You're literally saving lives, Amanda. It's not like. You are saving lives. 
I mean, and then on the other hand, it's hard because um, it's not we're in the one good thing about um, being um, an advocate on behalf of domestic violence in Wichita is that like we're the organizations that are working and doing that we're, we're very close. And so there's not a lot of overlap of work. Um, it's, it's very streamlined. We get the issue. We get our little our, our parts and our rules when it comes to prevention work. Um, it's much more siloed. So there's a lot of overlap. Um, and I think one of the goals that I've always kind of had in the back of my mind, if I ever can like breathe, is, you know, to, to, to get us all together and the way that we've gotten together when it comes to domestic violence crisis response and say like, okay, we're all in the states trying to get into school, trying to talk about these issues, trying to like put our, get our foot in the door. Like, why don't we get together? And, you know, absolutely. I think it, it, it would make us so much stronger. Yep. And it almost seems like, you know, of course, that's what we're all working towards a common goal of elimination of domestic violence. But it's just so hard to do that when you're putting out fires every day. Right, right. And then something like COVID comes along and rocks your world. And yet you still stand strong in, in, in the belief and, and, and in the work. You're continuing to go forward and move forward. Let's be honest, like, I'm not always strong. You know what I mean? I mean, there are plenty of nights where I just, like, you know, order pizza, I'm crawling under the covers. I think, I don't know, I used to think, I used to think that strength, I think, was this facade, you know, of, like, always having it together and always functioning 24-7, you know. And honestly, when I, like, am, like, I'm, I'm checking out for two hours, I have, like, the note that I put on the door that says, Mommy's taking a nap, Mommy is resting, please not disturb, but- in the middle of the day. I, and, and here's what you were teaching your children is that you were you know how to take care of yourself. You were you were taking the time to take care of yourself, and you're showing them that. that it's like, actually, yeah, they've really recognized it. They they're like, why? I wish I could nap the way you can nap, mom. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, just get to be a mom who That's runs right. a domestic violence shelter. <laughs> like, here we go. You want to get up at four thirty in the morning? You'll be tired around one too. <laughs> me children yeah. have but it's so true and it's it's but I wonder what the can you tell me what courage means to you like you wake up every day and are faced with courageous choices and it may not seem like that to you but to me your job requires just this level of of strength and and courage that I can't imagine sometimes having. I always think, I think it's funny when people say that because I don't feel courageous about it. Um, I need courage when I have to deal with like my own historical trauma. That's when I'm stagnated with gut-wrenching fear. Doing this, um, and I talk about this with the kids a lot, for me, what works is to break it down into steps, even the smallest steps, and then I just do the next and then the next thing. And there are super scary things as a part of my job. I did, it, ugh. You know, and there are definitely, I have to give myself a lot of grace on the days that I just don't want to do the scary things um, and hope that I'll do them tomorrow. So, um, but there are definitely times like when I am faced with whatever, you know, historical trauma I've dealt with or whatever it is where I am like stagnated with fear. Um, all I know is thank God I've been on this earth 46 years that I can sit with it and I know it'll pass. So those are my two big things are, you know, breaking it down into very small parts um, 
I'm all about doing the footwork and letting the rest go. That's, by the way, I think that's an extremely hard concept to explain to my children. They are like, I'm so in charge of the results. And I'm like, you're not in charge of the results. You are very much in charge of the hard work it takes to get there. Um, right? I don't know. Have you figured out how to explain that? No, but I get, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like all you, you can take action. You can, you can have thoughts and emotions that help you create the action you want, but the result will come or not come. Like this is, we don't, yes, but this is control and this is fear. And it is like holding on to what, what we need to happen. And it's so challenging to teach And that comes with, I think that comes with just life experience because here's the deal, Amanda, we see adults that us, you know, that, that cannot get this concept as well. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. That is a good point. I love that. I'm not naming any name, but it's so hard because we are required to step, take steps every day and to break it into, I say baby steps. Have you ever seen What About Bob? Did you ever see that movie? It's ridiculous and so politically incorrect. Now it's with Bill Murray and he um, is really fascinated, wink, wink, with his psychiatrist. But his psychiatrist teaches him to take baby steps towards freedom from fear. Maybe I should have my kids watch that. I mean, it was my favorite movie when I was younger, but I don't know if it's, it's, I think it's, wildly inappropriate as it looks at mental illness in a comedic way that maybe maybe not I don't know it's like it's hilarious we were we've been re-watching old movies like that's a great idea like um money pit and oh gosh that's a good one but it's so different than what we remember (laughs) like how incorrect it is right yes like oh my god yeah it's hilarious So I did, I clearly digress, but I think that we, we, as parents have this opportunity to inform, educate, but we also have an opportunity to have those conversations with our friends or with people that we know and love, because if one in three people are victims, is that right? One in three? One in three women are, and one in seven men. So. Yes. So we have someone around us is has experience or is so how do we have those real conversations that people know they can come to us i think one of the first things like i say a million times a day when i'm working as an advocate or working with a client is it's not your fault and you're not imagining it so when you start hearing things that just sound a little off and when it for me when it's happened on a personal level it's kind of what i was talking about before like he doesn't like it when I wear this. Um, he, I have, wait, I have to call him. I used to know where I am all the time. He doesn't like it if I'm out with these people, like little things like, oh, he would never hit me, but oh, he only lets me have a hundred dollars a week, whatever those like, yeah, that's, what it, mm-hmm. that's when I start, you know, to say not, I would not automatically just run out with like, you're not imagining it and it's not your fault, but like the amazing power and control that abusers have, it's like, it, it, it's like the way they've described it, they've compared it to, to people who are going through Stockholm syndrome who've been like kidnapped. They really convince their victim that like they're in control, right? Like if I just like, oh my gosh, if I just do this, if I just hang yeah. out, right, he will not be mad this time. He won't pout. I mean, again, we're not talking necessarily about physical abuse. We're talking like, okay, if I just do this today, if I say the right things, if I make the right dinner, if I, you know, 
cover all the things, he won't be mad. Those are the kinds of things I think we need to look for on a personal level. <sighs> Not that I'm saying that anyone who's like that is abusive, but I just think those are the red flags, right? Exactly. And that we get to make choices for ourselves about how we want to be treated, what is appropriate, our boundaries, our expectations, and then stay in those right. and live in those and believe in those. Also, yeah. like, let a little air in. Like, I, I don't mind if somebody comes and says, that's kind of, you know, like, let a little air into these personal relationships, right? A little, like, venting, a little different perspective. Oh, you, like, you just so all of you. Oh, my God. I've had these conversations numerous times, Samantha. Like, you know, you've, know. you've talked about, I mean, this is, this is your, you, clearly your passion, I will think, I mean, I, I asked me to make like a Dr. Seuss breakfast and I would be stagnated, you know, for, <laughs> you know, a flower arrangement. I mean, no. those are the true heroes because I recognize <laughs> present, like, oh. and this is, we all, we all have things we can contribute. Exactly. Various ways. So, but I believe that we all can do something. So our something might look like being the executive director or Full disclosure, I'm a board member of the Wichita Family Crisis Center. Like, we all have opportunities. What, Amanda, what are some ways that people can support your work, your organization? And, and really, I think you've give, given us such great ideas about having conversation with our, our peers, with our family, with our kids. But what are some other tangible ways that we can support you right now? Well, okay, so right now is hard. Um, obviously, actually, you know, donated, um, we need non-perishable food items and meals because we have so many people in hotels, you know, they just need microwave meals, um, cleaning supplies, if you can get your hands on them, that kind of stuff. Yes. I, um, I think one of the other things that I don't often get to say is that, I mean, the only reason I can do what I'm doing is because I have people that are helping me so much, you know, like, um, like my friend Vaya, who like will drive my kids anywhere, you know what I mean? Um, or like my husband who like, is like, okay, we work the same amount and he makes three times what I make, you know, and he, but he puts up with it and he respects it. So he does. Um, uh, the only, like, it's not like I'm doing it all. I just have a lot of help. And that is like, I, those people could see that they are as much about this. If I've had any success, it is as much to do with them as it has to do with what I've done. So I guess volunteers are important and donations are huge, but like the people who have allowed me to be able to do this, you know, that like. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I do. Don't have shoes here. Let me give them a pair. That kind of thing. Yeah, I love that so much. And people can donate to you. They yes. can donate to the center. This is a time that, I mean, we we understand that grants will still continue to support the work. But are we assured? Nothing is certain right or is yeah and I mean we've all listened to the news like the state has some 650 million dollar shortfall we are supposed to be the beneficiaries of some of that money just to keep our shelter running um so we know that that's going to be impacted I mean our costs we've decreased our shelter capacity by two-thirds so our costs have increased by oh my god I think three two or three times as much as they usually are in a month um so I mean financial donations are are unbelievably helpful right now I think like and I think people are getting it right like we've talked about this. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like people are giving to the food bank because they get it. Like, and they're giving to like shelters because they get it. Like we got to keep people alive and then we can get to like, you know, appreciating the finer things in life. Right. Um, so great. Right. That safety, the safety yeah. need 
physiological and safety needs are the base of what we can do before we move anywhere right. in life. And if we do not have that, we are unable to just, just survive. I mean, we, you right. are saving lives. Okay. So people can give donations. Can you tell us um, how people, your website, your, any, any social media that you would yes. We're Facebook, we're Twitter, we're Instagram. Um, you know, we, we do the best that we can. Obviously, we're a little overwhelmed, so you know, we try and post as much as we can. But the website has a lot of information. Yes. Um, administrative office is um, still open for phone calls and things. So right. if people have questions about donations and stuff, they can call our admin. We're not um, like you know, we will meet you at the door so we can be safe. That's awesome. I just am so grateful to you for the work you do and the courage you show and, and really model for all of us. I'm so grateful to Thank you. you. Me too. I'm grateful for you for oh, you, you, work and talking to these people and you know, oh, issues. I love But is there anything, have I, have I missed anything, sweet Amanda? No, I, I think you covered it all. I feel like, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to stay attentive, but I just have all the questions for you. I'm sure I will. And I'll link to everything in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so people then can engage and, and hopefully su support. And my um, intention is with this work is that we will continue the mission and, and just to really support you and highlight what you continue to do um, because it's, it's so necessary and so needed. I'm looking forward to, you know, being able to come and talk to community groups and things like that again, because I miss this. Right. This is behind the awesome. Yeah. Right. Yes. Behind the, the. Hey, it's Jessica. I just wanted to quickly, um, before we go, I wanted to invite you um, to start coaching with me. I know that there is so much going on in this world and all we want to do is take control of our lives to feel more joy and more peace. And really what we know is that someone outside of the stories you're telling yourself, someone outside of the narrative and the thoughts in your brain, someone can help you walk through this time. I want to be that person. I would be so honored to help you. We get to create the habits to help us feel good and rewire your brain. And really, you don't have to live in chaos anymore. You don't have to feel overwhelmed. You have the key to your own joy. And I want to help you with the tools to unlock that joy. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm offering individual coaching practices right now with payment plans. You can try this out for one month. So book a dis free discovery session on my website, jessicastong.com. You can um, really just look into what I do. There is no obligation in these free discovery sessions. It's one hour of coaching consult to discuss what we can do together. We can do this. There is never going to be a better time than now. So do this and watch your life change. I'm so excited for you. Um, again, I can't wait to work with you. And um, if you have any questions, you also can email me at stong.jessica at gmail.com. Thanks so much. See you next week.